We're going to be in multiple places as we look tonight at children in the family. So children in the family, as we continue, um, we don't ever do series. In fact, I wouldn't say never, but we pretty much never do them. But we've taken this break after we finished the book of Psalms. Um, and we're looking at the family, at different aspects of the family. Last time we talked about um, dating, dating and what that looks like tonight. We will talk about children. And so as we continue this, and as we even get started, uh, many of you parents are probably happy, or at least you, if you didn't say it out loud, you're like, great. We're talking about the kids, and it's a night that the kids are going to be in the service, and my kid needs to hear that. Maybe we'll be nudging them. I don't know. Um, some of you may have already, you're like, okay, children in the family, um, I don't have kids yet, or or maybe you're saying my kids are out of the house, and we can kind of get in that place where we even want to check out early. But it's interesting as we look at this, how many of you here are a child? Every single one of us, if you think about it, right? So if, if we're looking at children in the family, this is applicable to each one of us, and we're going to break it down in a way that shows us how it's applicable both to um, non-adult children and adult children. So what does the Bible have to say about children? And it's interesting as we look at that tonight, um, why it impacts each of our lives and, the, and why it's substantial. You know, everyone, again, being born means that you are a child. And like I said, we want to have that two groups in mind. First, we'll talk about the um, non-adult children. So think of you know, we don't want to, I don't want to necessarily put a specific age on it, but what do we typically go? 18 years and, and younger, when you're still under your parents' authority, when you're living with them, when, when you're relying upon your parents in a major way. So there's that group of children. And then there's all other children, which is even the adults. So tonight, the two places that we're going to go is, what does the Bible command children to do, number one? And then the second question that we're going to answer tonight is, how do we do it? So what does the Bible command children to do? And then number two, how do we do it? So taking that first question, and by the way, we'll have a time of question and answers um, at the end. I don't have any specific, there weren't any uh, questions that were um, submitted beforehand. But afterwards, if if something comes up, if you have a question, um, please just jot it down. And then we're going to shut down the live stream and we're going to just do question and answers as well. If there's any hard questions, Mike's going to be up here. Um, ask them all to him. But looking, looking at our outline, what does the Bible command children to do? So three things that we're going to look at specifically. Number one, the Bible tells us that children are to obey their parents. Children are to obey their parents. Second, we're to see that children are to live the gospel out in their relationship with their siblings, and then finally that children are to honor their parents. So what does the Bible command children to do? First, children are to obey their parents. Second, children are to live the gospel out in relationship with their siblings. And then finally, children are to honor their parents. So taking that first commandment, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, and then you can also put a marker in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, and Colossians chapter 3, verse 
20. So Paul writing both in the letter to the church at Ephesus and Colossae, we see a similar command in Ephesians 6, chapter 1. Excuse me, chapter 6, verse 1. Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Now, I don't want to ask for a show of hand how many parents uh, that have kids have quoted this, or maybe I should ask it the reverse, how many kids have heard their parents quote this over the years. The Bible says, obey your parents. Obey your parents. It's right there. And then Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, we see there Paul also writes, Children, obey, obey your parents in all things, for it is well-pleasing to the Lord. So the Bible clearly says and commands that children are to obey their parents. This is one of the distinctions that we need to make. See, here the Bible is speaking to what we would um, call or that first category of children, uh, the non-adult children. Again, uh, referring to kids who are still under the care, the, the nurture, the protection, the provision of their parents. And as we will see when we look at the role of the parents in the family, uh, one of their roles, the parents' role of, from the Lord, is to stand in the place of God for their children. God has given you parents that role, that duty, that responsibility to stand in the place of God, to be a representative to your kids for a period of time of who the Lord is. Not to be God. We don't want to make our children idolize us. That can be unhealthy, right? We, can, we don't want to make an idol out of our children, but yet God has given us this opportunity to be a representative for Him. And referring to parents teaching their children, uh, one person, they said it this way in their book, um, they said, we train our children to obey us so that they will grow up with the inherent, reflective ability to choose to obey God rather than their own impulses. See, that's, that's the role of a parent. A parent is to stand in the place of God, to be that representative for the time, and as they are giving them instruction, as they are um, pouring in day and day out, as they say no about 15,000 times a day if you have a toddler, you can't bang the Play-Doh off of your baby sister's head. Now, I don't know where we'd get an example for that, but sometimes that happens, right? You can't, you're standing in the place of God. You're teaching them to obey you, not to be um, authoritative over them, to have, to show that you are powerful, but that so when they become adults, they learn to control their impulses and yield and to obey the Lord. That's the purpose. We're not going to go too much into that tonight. We'll, we'll save that for when we do the parenting series. But then that means we, we've looked at what the parents' role is. Now then as children, see, we're to learn to obey parents that as children learn to submit to, the, uh, that they're learning to submit to the authority over them. See, God, yes, he's given us parents. We're to obey them. And God is even, even just teaching us to submit to him. Because guess what? We don't choose our parents. You're born into it. Isn't it interesting? You don't choose the siblings that you have in your family. You're born into it. And yet all of this, God has a purpose for. And so, again, as kids, we want to learn obedience not for obedience's sake, 
But we want to learn obedience. Kids are to obey to learn to recognize the authority God has established or the order of the family because ultimately God has established an order in the universe. And it's not that I am God, but that he is God. And so I'm learning to submit to him. And then also, check this out. Kids are also learning as, we, as they learn to obey their parents to set aside self-impulses and to choose to obey another. And that's hard. And if you think about it, even as adults, sometimes we struggle with that, right? We still struggle to set aside our, our, our own impulses, that initial knee-jerk reaction of, I want to say that comment or react that way. But what about if my parents aren't perfect? Well, that's all of us, right? Except for Britt. He has a perfect mom. Uh, that's, that's just a joke. Um, but, but anyways... We do, what about our parents? Because they don't, what about when I think that they're wrong? Or what about when I don't think my parents are doing the right thing? Or my parents are fallen? If everybody's a sinner, then you're telling me that I need to submit? The Bible is telling me to submit to a sinner? Well, that's true of all parents. There's no perfect parent. Um, but as a general rule, children are never to obey parents at the expense of disobeying the Bible or disobeying the word of God. So that's, that's that protection that God has given us. See, we, if, if it came down to it, if your parent told you to steal, well, I'm never to disobey the word of God. I know that that's wrong. I know that that's a general, um, uh, general, very, very general picture or example, but you get the idea, right? That's that, that's that safeguard. That's that guardrail that God has put for us as children. See, if a, um, even Jesus, though, he didn't have the perfect earthly parents, and yet he obeyed. Isn't that pretty amazing? Jesus, he didn't use that as an excuse to disobey. Because if he would have said, Mom, I know better, that's not the right course of action we're to take. That's not the way you're to, that's not the way you're to talk, or there's none of that. But Jesus... Even he set aside his rights and he humbled himself, right? And, and, and let parents be over him. Imperfect parents. And so we have that example. But children, uh, just wrapping it up, children, first of all, the Bible tells us that we're to obey our commandments because God is teaching us through that obedience, ultimately, how to respond in obedience to him. Now, secondly, we see that children are to live in go- the gospel out in relationship with their, their siblings. So um, turn to the left and go to Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. This is an often overlooked subject, but how many, how many of you have, have had siblings that you fight with? Hopefully not currently, right? But... But there's no doubt throughout the years growing up, if you grew up with a sibling, there, there were the times where um, you were just going at it. I remember one time um, I was in the car with um, my sister and my mom was driving us somewhere. I don't know where we were going, but I specifically remember this. We were fighting and we were fighting so bad that my mom pulled over the car and she took me out of the car and we stood on the side of the road and she said, if you don't stop, you're going to walk to wherever we are going. And I'm sure, like, it wasn't like we were just down the road, but she was totally fed up. We were just always, we were always fighting. We were always going at it in that way. But we see that the Bible says 
And the Bible cares about how we as kids relate to our siblings. Now think about this. Yes, of, of course, if, uh, looking at the first kind of context, the non-adult the non, um, children, right? We, that's an easy one to think about. But what about for us adults? Do we still fight with our siblings? How is our relationship with our siblings, even as adults? Because as I get older and older, and you hear the stories of, of the, the tensions that arise over, over silly things between families and between siblings, what, what they allow, allow to divide a family over material things or a comment or whatever it may be. But the Bible clearly tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, there Paul again writes, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. See, the example of siblings, and, and the Bible does care about siblings because we have many, many examples of siblings in the Bible. Just think about it. Who's the first siblings mentioned in the Bible? Cain and Abel, right? We know how that one turned out. <laughs> Cain and Abel. Uh, we also have Ishmael and Isaac. Right? We have um, Israel's 12 sons, and, and we know that he also had daughters. Right? Think about Jesus. Jesus had siblings. He had brothers that are mentioned, and we're not sure all of his sisters. How do you like Jesus to be your brother? Right? Mommy hit me. I know he's the son of God. He doesn't lie. Sorry. Sorry, but you got it this one. Uh, but there's many, many examples in the Bible of the siblings. And often the common theme, something that we see very often is that tension, that hatred, that ill will that arises between siblings. Their interactions are marked by competition, by rivalry, by jealousy, by bitterness, by demeaning words to one another. And if we're honest with ourselves, that happens much today. Bitterness. There's still a rivalry. There's still ill will. And like we, we laughed, right? But the first siblings mentioned in the Bible, Cain and Abel, they had, these, they had the same influences. They couldn't say it was because um, they went to different schools or if it was different eras, eras, excuse me. They couldn't say it was because of friend, different friend groups that they had. None of that. See, they, they, they were raised, they were the first children from Adam and Eve raised in the same exact environment, and yet still, sin was ever present. And there wasn't the brotherly love that the Bible tells us is to be marked among siblings. And see, we aren't just talking about family siblings. This happens too in the body of Christ. See, because when you and I, when we're saved, when you become a child of God that we'll look at earlier, sadly, this same thing often marks a church. Rivalry. Bitterness, jealousy, competition, cutting down one another with words, fighting in the church, the family of God. But the Bible clearly says that we're um, to have this brotherly love. Now we have to ask ourselves, what is this love and, and how do we apply this to our families first and then also the family of God? See, like we said, we don't pick our siblings. And it's interesting too, you don't pick your church. Yes, you pick which church you want to go to, but you don't pick your brothers and sisters who come to that church, right? 
Isn't it pretty cool? You're born into a family. You're born again into the family of God. You have to be born. We know that we also are adopted, and, and, and I, I know that. But you get the idea here. But who, who God brought here to even this, this fellowship, CCSP? And we don't choose that. But God has placed us here. And so our relationships matter. One thing that's unique about sibling relationships, and I think that forces us to live out the gospel love in families, is that your siblings know you best. There's no hiding from your siblings. You were with them, I don't know how many hours of a day, but most, most of the time, every time you're at home, you're with your siblings. You know, you can put on a face for 20 minutes, 30 minutes for somebody else, but your siblings know what you're like. They, they're with you when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're hangry, if anybody gets hangry. But they see all of it. And see, um, yet the Bible calls us that we're to have this love of God. It's to be marked by love. The Bible isn't saying that there won't be disagreements, that there won't be hurts, but that even through that, that we will love. See, love forgives. Love is marked by kindness. Love is looking at ways and for ways to prefer others. Love build other, builds others up. And that's what we're to do in our families, in the family of God. Well, how do we do this? See, this type of love is unnatural for us, isn't it? It's natural for me to want to rip others up with my words. And want to poke my sister's buttons because I know exactly how to poke at it. Because I've had 31 years of it, or 29 years, I should say, of experience doing that, right? I get really good at it. But how do we do this? How do we have this type of, of unnatural love? See, we must look at the love of Christ. And there we realize how He has loved us. How He has loved us. In response then, as we gaze upon and as we meditate and we bask in His love, we just respond in the love that He's first given us to others. Love isn't dependent on a, how a person acts. Meaning like, if, if, well, if she's nice or if he apologizes first, then I will forgive them or then I will start to be nice with them. But love is initiated on our behalf. See, because Jesus, see, when we are still yet sinners, the Bible tells us, that is when He came. And that is when he died for us. But not only that, as you are rooted and grounded in Christ and what he did for you on the cross, see, you can give that love. You can be kind in that you experience the forgiveness of Christ. It's easy to forgive others. We continue to look at the gospel of Christ. And so even parents, and I wouldn't even say just limit this to parents, but what about one another here in, in our body, in this family? See, this is an opportunity to encourage others to live out the gospel. Parents, yes, teach your kids to intentionally be kind. Teach them what forgiveness is. And when there's that bitterness, when there's that fighting, take, share the gospel with them and say, this is what Jesus has done. And he has forgiven even when we were so... You can preach the gospel. It's easy sermons right there. Lots of material. Your family devotions are done for the day, Right? But what about even the harder place with us adults? See, God has given you this unique um, opportunity. Maybe you have siblings, older siblings, who you, you have a hard time with. And, and, and that rub you the wrong way. 
See, God has given you an opportunity to live the gospel out in relationship with them. No matter how they respond, no matter what they do, you can be in a living epistle. But what a cool and what a unique opportunity God has given us to have this brotherly love among siblings. So finally, the last point here, what the Bible tells us, children are to honor their parents. Children are to honor their parents. A couple places, um, go to the right, go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be there. We're also going to be in Exodus 20 verse 12 and Deuteronomy 5.16. Three different places that the Bible talks about children honoring their parents. So Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll read verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to jump over to Exodus. So Paul again, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So turn to the left, go to Exodus chapter 20. There, the Ten Commandments. And going down to verse 12, we, we see that the word of God says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And then go to the right one more place in Deuteronomy 5.16. Deuteronomy 5.16. Again, a recap or um, a review of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. Um, we, we read in verse 16, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord God is giving you. So we clearly see there's, there's no uh, way around it the, that the Bible says that children are to honor your, their parents. So, now we're again speaking to uh, non-adult children and adult children that we are all to honor our parents. See, there comes a point where the children aren't under their authority of the parents anymore. They've been raised, hopefully, Lord willing, to be wise, to make their own choices. But there's no point in the Bible that the Bible says that we are to stop honoring our parents. We don't always obey our parents. I don't call... Um, my mom, and I don't ask her what I should wear, what she, what she wants me, if, if I need to take out the trash today, or if I, or if I need to cut the lawn. There's none of, not that. We don't obey them anymore at a certain point. But we're always, always to honor our parents. See, in Exodus, as we read in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, the word honor is linked and actually is the same word, kabod, which many of you know means to give weight, to give glory, um, not to treat lightly. To give weight, to give glory, not to treat lightly. So honor. Don't, children are to honor their parents, to treat them with weight, to, to not treat them lightly. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, a decision, this means a decision to provide dignity, courtesy, and to provide long-term loyalty to your parents' best interests. To provide dignity, courtesy, and provide long-term loyalty to your parents' best interests. 
So, for non-adult children to honor their parents or not to treat them lightly, this will result in obedience, doesn't it? See, if you're a parent, if I'm honoring uh, my parents, to give them weight, to give, to not treat them lightly means I will obey. I can't say that I honor them and also not obey them. Because if I'm not obeying them, I'm saying what you have to say has no weight, has no effect. There's no substance behind it that I need to obey you. Interesting. You can't have one without the other. But how does this apply to the majority of us in the room who are adults? How do we still honor our parents as adults? Well, Keller goes on to say how we're to honor our parents. He gives three, excuse me, he gives five examples here. He says that we, we can honor our parents, even as adults, um, through cultural symbols. What do we mean by that? Father's Day, Mother's Day, the way that the culture honors parents. Give, you know, you can give a shout out to your parents in front of others. Honor them. Let the, them see the good of them reproduced in you. Let them see the good of you that was reproduced, excuse me, the good of them that was reproduced in you. What does that mean? You know, hey, hey, Dad, you know, you, I, I remember growing up, you really uh, just poured into me a good work ethic, and I appreciate that. I, I learned that from you. That's a, that simple. But letting them see the good that you've picked up from them in you, that's honoring them. Then thirdly, he says that we can let them change. That one's a little bit harder at times, isn't it? Let them change. Yes, all, all, all of us are sinners, and so there's things that we hold on to. My parent did this. My parent was always this way. They always treated me this way, or they had this tendency to whatever. But let them change. God's working in, in and through them. Don't hold them to that. Let them change. Fourth, he says that we can honor our parents by forgiving them. And then number five, he said that we can be free from them. Being free from our parents honors them. What does that mean? He says that we don't have to live for their approval anymore. You don't have to live for your parents' approval anymore. I I don't always have to please my parents. And that honors them because why? When I've gotten to that place, I found the real source of approval. And we'll talk about that later. But ultimately, that's in Jesus. So why does all this matter? Think about it. Why does it matter and, and, and how do we do it? See, all of this is a reflection of the gospel. We, we've been looking at that. If I give, if I can, um, in honoring, honoring my parents, obeying my parents, it's a reflection of submission to the Lord, uh, of um, trusting the Lord as He's placed me in this family, of being able to forgive, of being willing to forgive. All of this, it's a reflection to the world of, around us, the brotherly love that we have one for another. But the real question is, how do we do it? How do I do this? That's great. I, I agree with I agree with this, right? I, and I, and I want to do it, but how? How do we honor our parents, especially when some of us have not had good parents? In fact, some parents have been absent. Some parents have been afar off. Some parents have never told us that they loved us. How do we honor parents like this? Well, go back over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and there we see what Paul says. Starting with verse 1, he says, And you, he, speaking of the Lord, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom you also, excuse me, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. So here we see that the Bible tells us that by nature we were children of wrath. We were walking in the desires of our flesh. It specifically says, what's all this means? That we were born sinners and we lived as a sinner, fulfilling the desires of our flesh, walking in that. Because you know, right, that not every person who is born is a child of God. Yes, all people, every human life deserves honor and dignity and respect. But not every single person is a child of God. The Bible tells us here in John chapter 1, so you can go to the left, John chapter 1, I told you we'd be flipping around a lot, um, how we can become a child of God. So John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. We see, but as many as received him, speaking of Christ, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How do you become a child of God? Well, excuse me, there we see that you must receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, admitting that you have sinned, repenting, turning from your sin, and placing your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that at that point, you're born again. You're given a new heart. Yes, the same physical body, but you're born again into the family of God. And you are now a child of God. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, I love there, again, Paul says that having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. See, when you place your trust in Jesus, the Bible says at that point, you're not only born again, but that you were adopted as a son of God or a daughter of God. We are adopted into his family. See, this action of adoption, when you go and, 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 and you know the process of adoption, it's a legal transaction that happens, isn't it? It's a legal binding transaction. It, it, it happens, right? There's documentation It's settled. There's no going back on it. And the moment that those adoption papers are finalized, it's it's done. You are a son. You are a daughter at that point. You don't have to go through a testing period. You don't have to go through a trial period. Now, translate that to, again, our salvation. See, because of the fact that we were born again, and then not only born again, but adopted as a child of God, see, that's a legal transaction that has placed that has, excuse me, that has been um, completed and that has been accomplished for you and I. There's no turning back. It's instantaneous. It's complete. There's no waiting period. There's no trial period. He's not going to, he can't return us, right? It's complete. So that means that for you and I, as children of God, for those who are born again, what's this mean? Apply it back to the first three points, that we are to honor our parents, the Lord, that we are to obey Him 
and that we're to have that brotherly love among our siblings, those who are in the family of God. Interesting, isn't it? That we're to obey, that we're to honor the Lord. As our Father, we give Him the proper honor that is due. That means that we worship Him. We, we recognize the weightiness that He deserves. And because He is the Lord, because He is God, I respond in obedience to Him. Right? Anything that has weight impacts us. You know, if, um, if Mike Reynolds throws a feather at me, it won't do too much damage. If Mike Reynolds throws a brick at me, it has a lot more weight. It's going to have an impact on me. And the same thing, the, 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 to the extent that I realize the weight of it. And do you see how this is applicable? We need to continue to look at who the Lord is. This means that, um, how, how do we do all this? We realize who we are, that the transaction has happened, but two things that we must know. First of all, the resources of our Father. If I am a child of God, then I have to know the resources that are available to me. See, just as our children, as a father, my kids have all the resources that they need from their parents. Britain other never has to go to Walmart and go shopping. He never has to worry about filling up the car with gas. It's, all, it's already there. It's available to him just to sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. And it's, 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 it's cool to think about it on, on, in that stage of life. But so too, think for you and for I, the resources that you as a child of God have available to you. See, when we were saved, our Father in heaven freed us from the power and the penalty of sin. It's been done for you. He didn't ask you to do that. You are freed from sin. Not only that, we've been given um, all that we need to obey the Lord through His Holy Spirit. We can now just participate and we yield ourselves to Him. We yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. But second thing that we must know is that we need to know the love of our Father. See, again, many of us may have had a hard time thinking about honoring our parents because our parents um, weren't, weren't best. They, they, they were absent. They were distant. Whatever it may be. We were let down. How, how can I do this? How can I honor them when I wasn't treated the way that I should have been? We look not at our parents, but we look at the gospel. See, it was on the cross that Jesus took your displeasure. He took my displeasure upon himself. The displeasure of the Father in heaven, of his Father. That in exchange, I might gain the full pleasure of God. Isn't that amazing to think about? See, Jesus took all of my sin, all of your sin upon himself. He, he had the full pleasure of God. He had never sinned. He had never once sinned in his life. And yet it was on the cross, he took my sin and your sin upon himself. And in doing that, he experienced the wrath of God. And he did it willingly. He experienced displeasure of God, the displeasure of God for the first time ever that you and I can now experience the full pleasure of our Father. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, now you and I, that's how we become secure in the unconditional love of our Father. 
you have been accepted, not in pleasing your parents, you, you, you're free from them, right? I found the true acceptance that I've been looking for, the true source of love. I look to my Father's love in heaven. You can have complete um, love even when parents weren't present. Yes, of course, I, I, I'm not being insensitive to the hurts that are there, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not pretending like that's not a real thing. But yet, in, in spite of that and, and through that, we know the love of our Father. We can forgive because, again, we see how much our Father has first forgiven us. And we can honor um, our parents because we have found life in the One who is all-glorious. We can, we can give weight to others, the honor that is due, because we don't have to be always trying to look to accept weight from them. Does that make sense? Like the fullness of it. Because we've already experienced the fullness of His glory, of His weight, as we look to the cross. And so as we close tonight, um, I just want to uh, just encourage us to continually do that. You know, I, I pray, I know for me, like, this was... Uh, I never really understood what it meant to honor your parents that way. And, and, and it's just so encouraging as I continually think about how we can just respond to who the Lord is. And, and you know, I just pray in our devotion life as we're doing um, sharing with others or as these verses continue to come up, it drives our heart back to what Christ did, taking our displeasure that we might experience the full pleasure of God. So we're going to pray, and then they're going to cut the live stream, and we will do question and answers. And so, Father, again, um, we thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you um, were to have first loved us. God, I thank you that you are the perfect Father, or that you are the perfect Father, that you um, give us what we need. Lord, I thank you that you love us enough even to correct us. God, that you don't leave us in sin, or that you um, convict us and Lord, I thank you that for this family that you've placed us in um, here in West Elizabeth, God. And would our lives, Lord, with our siblings, with our parents, um, Lord, would they be marked by the love of the gospel, that others around us would see that and they would be drawn um, to the love of Christ that is exemplified through, through our lives and would many come to know you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.